Hello coders, I hope everybody is doing well. It's episode 89 of the How to Code Well podcast. I am a little bit early and uh, I apologize for that. We're going to see if we can roll through past eight o'clock. There's a couple of things I want to talk about. Technical regret. (laughs) Technical regret. This is, by the way, this is going to be a non-alcohol fueled podcast. So... We'll see how it goes. Um, I'm on the I'm on the herbal tea. I'm on the green tea and uh, some orange uh, squash because uh, we've run out of beer. We've run out of beer. Let me just uh, close down the tunes and then I can hear myself properly. Uh, that's the one. <laughs> so yeah, technical regret. I apologise if I seem a little bit sort of flustered. Uh, this week has just been like. Uh, just a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. I can't believe it's Friday tomorrow. Cannot believe it's Friday. It feels like it was Monday. It feels like it's Monday, like last week. (laughs) That's how quick this week has gone. Uh, So I don't have any notes. Um, However, I've got some ideas in my head as to what I want to talk about with technical regret. It's regarding the How to Code Well site. We've been doing, I've been doing some experiments, shall we say, um, and after the experiment, when you experiment with things, um, you look back on the things that you've done before um, and you, you, you pick and choose an experiment that works. And if you come to the realization like I have, where you've spent so much time going down some form of rabbit hole, you start having regrets, regrets on the architectural decisions that you've made. Uh, regrets on the time that you spent doing such a thing. So there's some negatives. There's also some positives to this as well um, that we'll we'll definitely talk about too. But let's just give some context as to what I mean by by the these experiments. So for those that don't know, the howtocopewell.net website, the thing that we've been building for Yonks on Twitch, um, has gone through a series of iterations. And the thing that's live at the moment, howtocodewell.net, certainly isn't the thing that is on beta, so where the beta testers can play play around with. Um, and it's certainly certainly not the bleeding edge stuff that I've been well developing here um, on on my local machines. So there's there's kind of like three sort of steps, I guess. And we've had we've made some we've made some architectural decisions. I have made some technical architectural decisions that I regret. And we're going to be talking about those uh, today, I guess. Um, It's a bit, I don't know, I don't want this to come across harsh, although I'm quite self-critical. So (laughs) Um, as long as there's a lesson, some lessons learned afterwards. So, okay, let's get into it. So, So one of the first architectural decisions that I made, and this is just showing how newbie and how green I was, uh, was that everything needed to be built using microservices. And the thing is, I didn't give myself any form of justification as to why it needed to be built in microservices. I just thought that was the way to go, (laughs) which sounds stupid right now, right? It sounds absolutely daft. So we built this in microservices. We, we, we tackled howtocodewell.net, which is 
eventually going to be the e-learning platform for how to code well. We did this using microservices. So there was a, a microservice for, let's say, the the course side of it. So the, the course had a service. We had a service for images and uh, media and resources and code. We had a service for user management. So you know, accessing your profile, that kind of thing. We had a service for authentication. So that was authentication um, and authorization. And then we had, um, I mean, we we had lots of services. We had services for just generic things like resources. We had services that were connecting to um, external services like Lambda, like firing off Lambda um, uh, functions or just accessing external things, pulling down feeds from places as well. So we had a blog a blog service and as you can imagine it got very it grew it grew exponentially and um any new feature that i had that i wanted to add uh usually boiled down to a service and of course when you're playing with microservices each service has its own um what shall we say it, well it has its own it's, it's siloed itself. It has its own environment. It's its own world. Therefore, it has its own database. It has its own configuration. Uh, it has its own routes and access points. Um, yeah, so so we had basically How to Code Well ended up with several databases, several APIs, and it was just getting a bit messy. Um, we, I was struggling with code that was common across the microservices, and I was thinking about, and, you know, uh, that's a common problem with programming. It's like, you you know, how do you refactor your code to the point where you're not replicating the logic? You It, it boils down to like a single point. And, of course, there were a couple of things. Well, there was a lot of things, to be fair, that was spread across the microservices that were all common, common code. Um, and so one of the solutions that I was playing around with, uh, a solution to a problem, right, which is a general problem, which is the commonality of code, was let's create third part or let's create packages in PHP in Composer, Composer packages on Packagist, which were sort of abstract to the point where I didn't mind it being public, open source, and then pulling all that in. But then... You might think, well, yeah, that's that's a fair, fair enough, uh, fair enough solution to that problem. However, the regret there is that now you've got another thing that you need to maintain, <laughs> and then you've got to maintain all the dependencies across all of the microservices. And basically, long story short, long story short is it, it took me such a long time to move forward with anything because everything needed to be adjusted or changed or altered or you know I was getting frustrated because I was in the database in the schema in one schema I was calling such and such something I had a naming convention in one way and I had another naming convention in another way and I had to go back and backfill all the naming conventions of the database schema maybe you know what I'm saying here is like some things had underscores, some things didn't have underscores. I wanted to keep a standard sort of uh, playing field, and it just got it just got to a point where any type type of improvement, anything I wanted to go forward, um, meant that I would need to go back, <laughs> and it just got it just got really troublesome. This is a theme of today's talk. The theme is. <laughs> 
if you haven't spotted it already. The theme is uh, to do with time. So if you find yourself spending more time doing something that really should be a trivial thing, then you need to look at your um, your working practices, your architecture, um, your, you know, what, what it is that you're trying to achieve. And if the thing that you're working with, if the tooling that you've got is preventing you from doing things quickly or as quick as they should be, because you kind of get an idea as, you know, how quick does it take me to build an API endpoint? How quick does it take me to write some migrations for a database? How quick does it take me to write a form? You get an idea for how quick these things are. And when you're having to work within the confines of your architecture, if the architecture is a thing that is slowing you down, then you've got a problem with the architecture. The trouble is I was so pig-headed that it was like, no, it's microservices or nothing, you know, and... and that's an that's a frust- that's an annoyance on my 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 part it was i was so set in my ways i wanted to microservice everything um without having any form of justification as to why those services um are needed and anyway cutting a long long story short um we i spent a very long time in this microservice world and uh, I think the, the straw that broke the camel's back was um, I was trying to authenticate um, uh, a, a user action from one microservice to another microservice. And I was trying all sorts of different ways of doing it. JWT, um, access tokens, all sorts of different things. Everything had a positive and a negative. Everything required you know, some form of management configuration, it just got a bit of a headache. And it was only until I actually spelt it out on a notepad, what it is that I actually wanted to achieve without the microservices being involved in this. I thought, hang on a minute, (laughs) I could just build it without a microservice and not have to worry about all of this baggage that is coming with me just because I've made some technical decision that I can't actually justify. Um, And so what I did was I brought in all of the microservices into the, into an API in one sort of monolith. And I felt dirty doing that. It was like, Oh, I was going against everything. I, I, uh, I wanted to do, (laughs) I was like, no, this is the going backwards. I'm going back in time. This is like, this is medieval stuff now, you know, having one API. Um, (laughs) but actually it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Um, and because it was all in one sort of project, that meant that obviously the maintenance was far, far lower, um, because I only had to maintain one set of dependencies, one set of code, one database. And um, also, I, I, I guess, I guess th- this, gave, this gave me a bit of a wake-up call. It was like, hang on a minute, there is more than one way to solve a problem. And there is a high possibility, because I haven't changed, um, I haven't, uh, experimented with all the various possible solutions that there's a high probability that the solution that I'm working with at the moment is the wrong one. 
So anyway, it took me, I don't know, a week, a week of evenings uh, and a few weekends, probably let's say two weeks, maybe three, a push to bring all of the APIs in a single API in a single project. And um, I still have the old APIs floating about, um, but it, it took me far less in time to bring everything in and f- do the feature that I actually wanted to do than to do the feature in the old architecture I had. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, this is, this is like, this is proper raw stuff. This is like, um, the confessions of a developer Confe- and th- th- that's the thing. I had a developer's head on, you know, I was trying to build something that was pleasurable for a developer rather than for a project manager, rather than for a client. It was like, you know, there's, there's an itch. I'm going to scratch it. <laughs> um, but I lost an awful lot of time doing so. And this brings me uh, neatly on to to the next experiment, the experiment that's going on at the moment. Um, and th- this this experiment is to do with uh, the the front end. <sighs> We've all gone round in circles on this one. So, um, the front end, if you don't know, howtocopewell.net is built in Gatsby, and it's a stat- so it's a static site. And, um, you know, the React components, I was really interested in learning React, learning Gatsby, learning static sites. I've, I built a couple of static sites before. I've even built static sites in PHP using Sculpin. Um, and there's, you know, if you go to the Code Challenges site, if you go to the wiki, if you go to um, the code notes, they're all, not the code notes, sorry. Uh, the code of conduct, sorry. Um, they are all in Gatsby. They are all static sites. They are all small websites. They are all very, very small. They take, at l- you know, literally seconds to build. <laughs> How to code well site actually takes a little bit longer. Takes much longer. <laughs> takes at least uh, 15 minutes to, to build every bit for it. And... That is, and I've noticed that growing um, ever since we started this project. So there's a, a, a regret that I currently have with this technical decision going and using a static site because the build time is growing and growing and growing. Now, there is some good reasons. This is the difference between this experiment and the experiment um, with the APIs. There are some very good reasons why I went and chose to do it in a static site. One being that it is super quick. You cannot go quicker than a static site. It is quick, quick, quick. Because <laughs> it's all just, it is just HTML and JavaScript and CSS, of course. So it's super quick. There's no server involved. Also security. You know, it's a static site. There's There's no... You know, the security attack surface is extremely small. Uh, whereas if you put, put all your eggs in one basket on a, on a server, on a PHP server, then you've got to deal with, you know, all sorts of things it, from a security point of view. Um, it also meant that I was able to pull in other uh, external things um, that we'll talk about more uh, later, I guess, um, and build those at build time. 
And uh, yeah, there, it was it was really really good. And I had seen some e-commerce sites in you know in Gatsby in a static way. I've I, you know, I was I did a lot of reading on Gatsby because I was like, I don't want to make this decision again, uh, this issue again. We're going to go APIs and we're going to go Gatsby. And um, I was more in, I had more confidence in uh, building as a Gatsby static site than I had the microservices, let's say. When I made the decision to bring all the microservices back in to a single API, I then thought about doing the same thing for, or rethinking at least, the Gatsby front end. And then, but at that time I thought, no, just solely on the security and the speed of it, I think this is the good way to go. And I was you know, yay, this is a good way to go. But um, this experiment that I'm doing at the moment um, is bringing everything back into Symfony. So, in, you know, not having a static site, bringing everything in, bringing everything in to the same project. So basically reverting back to a monolith. <laughs> and the difference between this experiment and the experiment beforehand, because I... I got my fingers burnt on the one before because I just wasted so much time um, going down the microservice route. I want to time box this. So I've given myself, um, well, I started it last weekend. Um, and so I've given myself last, from, from Saturday, Sunday, uh, I did some work over, over the some of the evenings this week, although it's been very busy with work. So I haven't been able to do as much as I would like. Um, like last night, for instance, I was working for a client, um, on a CR, which, you know, a change request, which went in for hours. So that, that, um, sometimes, sometimes you just can't, you just can't move <laughs> for your evenings and it, you know, writing code for how to code well in the evenings after writing code for clients is a bit of a busman's holiday. So it's, you don't really, you need some downtime. So I'm trying to factor that in too. Anyway, um, so we started it. I started it last weekend, and I've got this weekend uh, to do, and then next, and then the weekend following. So I'm going to give myself three weeks, three three weeks. Uh, these aren't obviously developer days because these are like two hours in the evening, and then the uh, the weekends. So not a, not a, not a lot of days if you put it together. So I've given myself three weeks to bring all of the code, all the front end back into Symfony and use not the APIs, use direct connections to the to the database via Doctrine. Basically, it's a standard Symfony website. So we've gone full circle. And now the reason why I've done this is, and I'm, I'm still calling this the experiment because I'm still unsure whether this is the right thing to do. That's why I'm giving myself three weeks. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole and then find myself in sort of like half a year's late time later that that actually was a bad idea. So I'm giving myself three weeks. If I can build, rebuild the front end um, in Symfony, so convert all the HTML to Twig, add the JavaScript, then I think that that would be a good thing. Um, and yeah, the reason why I'm doing this, the reason why I'm doing this is because, again, again, it's going back to time. There was something that I was doing. What was it? It was the forms. It was, yeah, last week we were talking about um, there isn't a contact form on how to code well. And I started looking for how to do that. 
how to create a contact form in a secure way on a Gatsby or any static site. And I mean, usually you've just got a form, right? And you do a post request to something. So that thing needs to be around. It can't go back to uh, Gatsby because that's static. So it needs to go off somewhere. So I was looking at different ways of, well, maybe it needs to go to fire off a Lambda script. Okay, so now I need to secure, I need to secure a Lambda function. Okay, so maybe it needs to, maybe there needs to be a server that's just always up, that is just listening for requests. Okay, so now I need to secure that. And then I was like, well, how do you secure a contact form? Okay, so maybe I add Google Authentic, you know, the, um, uh, what do you call it? The capture stuff. Okay, that's that 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 would work fine. Uh, what else do we need? Okay, we need some uh, cross-site scripting um, uh, prevention going on. Okay, so that requires me to create a token and then um, just have that token in a hidden field and then verify that token on a post. Okay, so now that means that I have to store that somewhere in a session. Ah. I can't have a session on a static site. Do you see what I mean? It's like all of these problems are coming from um, the fact that there isn't an actual server behind the site that is always up. It would mean that I would have to create an API request to generate the token, to store some form of session on some server, and then verify that on the way back. And so you end up losing the benefits of staticness when you have to do that. And the thing is, this just highlighted to me all of the things that I would like to happen on on the howtocodewell.net in the future and how difficult that would be. Everything would require some form of interaction with the APIs. So instead of looking at the access logs and, and all of that, I would I would be looking at the access logs of the server and uh, I would be securing those down. And, it, you know, it, it just got a bit problematic. When I started the Gatsby site, I was, I didn't think about this, um, to be fair. I didn't actually think about user um, interaction with the, with the site. I... I was thinking maybe it would just be static in the sense that it would just build itself. And, you know, when, when I do a build, it would just build all the HTML and then that's, that's good. But then we, then I, then I was, I just totally overlooked the fact that it needed a login. It needed some form of user interaction. Um, it needed enrollment, which to be fair is the whole point of the website. So I think I was just so blinkered with the fact that, oh, it's React. Oh, it's Gatsby. I don't have, you know, they're new to me. Let's go down this route. Um, again, that is the typical developer in me rather than the project manager. <laughs> you know, you've got to, when, when, you, when you put your flag down on your island, you have to say this island is the thing that I want, you know, is, is, is a good representation of the solution. You know, this is the thing. This is this is what I'm choosing because of these reasons. Because I've thought of all the other things that this island needs to have. So I'm going to put my flag down. Trouble is, if you're if the water starts to erode the island, and your solution gets smaller and smaller, and the ocean of problems get gets bigger and bigger and bigger, 
then you need to think about moving to another island. <laughs> so yeah, that's the experiment. We're going to see if we can we can build this in um, in a Symphony, in um, PHP, in uh, Symphony 5.2, and we're running PHP 7.4 at the moment, but I'm hoping to upgrade that to um, PHP 8 soon. Um, there are some... There are some niggles that I've got regarding the regarding Symphony and this. There are some benefits that I wasn't actually aware of um, when building a static site. Uh, one of which was, well, I suppose I was aware of it, but I didn't realize how much I relied on it. So one of these is the blog. So the blog at the moment is stored in Ghost, which is a wonderful, wonderful um uh, blogging platform is fantastic. It's basically well, it's a headless blogging platform that I've that I've got. It, it can also have a front end too, but uh, I'm working on it on a on a on a headless sort of um, headless mode, I suppose you would say. And what happens is when Gatsby does a build, it it has a bunch of API credentials and it fires off to Ghost and it pulls down all the content um, and then it, and and it builds it. And it's one of those things that just works, right? You follow the Ghost and the Gatsby tutorials, you wire everything up, and then you set and forget, and it works. And it's been working very well uh, for well since I've done it. Now, that's this brings in a bit of a problem when I'm no longer doing it through Gatsby. I'm I'm having to bring it in through PHP. It's not really a problem because I, you know, I've done this before with clients um, where you're pulling an external feed down. Uh, it just means that there are other things that you have to appreciate. So with a static site, everything's built up front, and there, you know, there you go. It's good to go. But with um, when when you're doing it through, you know, server to server through PHP to something else, um, then you've got to use APIs or an RSS feed. You have to think about caching, you know, you have to think about all sorts of different niggles, pagination, um, all of that, that kind of stuff, which is, you know, usual stuff, but it's stuff that you wouldn't necessarily need to worry about if you were doing it through uh, a static site, because once it's built, it's built. You just set up the Gatsby node um, plugin and away you go and it builds it for you. Um <laughs> So there are, there are a couple of issues. Another one, which I haven't quite got my head around yet, is um, the code notes. So the code notes at the moment, so every course uh, has uh, obviously a series of tutorials, and each tutorial has a, um, will, will eventually have a note, a, a uh, code note. And um, this note is something that will obviously display some code, um, that has been taught on the in the tutorial, and that code uh, will you know that could bridge some knowledge gaps that I haven't mentioned in the tutorial. It might offer you a different example or a different demonstration, that kind of thing. And these are done in Markdown. These are written in Markdown. This is an open source uh, project that I've got going, and uh, that basically there's a Markdown file for every uh, tutorial in every in every uh, course. There's also a markdown file for the transcripts as well. Now, my future plan going forward is the fact that I would like all of this to go into Elasticsearch because then I could have a search feature on the front end of the website 
where you could search for something and that goes and searches through the transcripts or the code notes. Now, the way I have this working at the moment on the front end on Gatsby is uh, it's really quite interesting to be to be fair. And I was astounded by how simple it was. Um, Gatsby obviously uh, is using GraphQL. So what happens is um, the APIs get called to these various external resources, as well as the House Cobell API. And um, they the, the responses go into GraphQL. And then from there, I can then query GraphQL uh, during build time and runtime of uh, of Gatsby, which is fantastic. It's brilliant. Or oh, just build time, sorry. And um, what happens is that uh, um, you can you can using a plugin you can push uh, Markdown into GraphQL, and you can also push things like file names as well. So the code notes is pulled in through. Um, through GitHub, uh, or pulled pulled from GitHub, sorry, into the project, and then the as in the build, the project then the GitHub project gets um, checked, and that all goes into GraphQL. That then gets queried, and then is created as code notes on the actual page as HTML. So the markdown gets converted into HTML. And it works really well. Well, it literally took me what an evening to do. It was so so good, so sweet. When I got it done, it was another thing that you just set and forget. <laughs> it was really really good. <laughs> the problem, the pro, and, and um, Gatsby or static sites in general, they they're kind of suited and booted towards Markdown files. Um, in fact, the um, the code challenges. And well, all the static sites for how to code well. So the code code uh, challenges, the code of conduct, the wiki, all of them, they run Markdown files. That's where the what, what the content is is in. It's in Markdown files. Um, and uh, Gatsby has a really good way of of converting Markdown into HTML. And I also found a way of converting um, the source adding syntax highlighting to the code notes that were pulled in through through GraphQL, through the GitHub API, through the GitHub repository. Um, it was a really, really good setup. I was so pleased when that happened. The problem I've got now is that because it's in Symfony, um, it, there is a different... You've got to think of it differently because, okay, I need to somehow pull in the the... The GitHub repository. Okay, I can do that using Git submodules. That's fine. So I've pulled that in to the project. Now I need to find a way of getting the con of searching through the file system um, for the particular code note that I'm after. Um, so that means that I need to traverse the file system, search by file name using a regex, which is not the simplest or the quickest thing to do. Um, and then I need to get all the contents of the file. So I need to do file, get contents. And then I need to parse that as markdown or parse the markdown, sorry, uh, as HTML, beg your pardon. And then inject that into the relevant position in, in, uh, uh, in the twig. <laughs> 
So there's a lot involved and it isn't fast because I'm dealing with a file system. Whereas when I was with Gatsby, um, I make it sound like I've left Gatsby, but when I was with Gatsby, <laughs> um, it was all, it was once it was built, it was built and you didn't have to worry about this. You didn't have to worry about it at all. So now you have to think, well, okay, how do I speed this up? Well, you're going to have to cache it. Okay. So if I put this into, I don't know, Memcache or Redis or something like that, um, then I need to, I need to work out, I need to trigger something to flush that cache whenever the GitHub repository for the code notes has changed. And so you, you now are walking down a different path of complexity to solve the problem of, well, I could have just rebuilt this in Gatsby. Um, I could have just done the build and uh, that, that would have all happened under the hood, like magic as it does. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm already seeing a small little crack in this, in this plan. However, I think there is a solution there are, you know, it's solvable. And if I was to think outside the box, to the point where, you know, the thing that I really want to happen in the future, and that is to have everything in Elasticsearch, I would be reading from Elasticsearch anyway. And I would be having, I would have, um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be reading from the file. I'll be reading from Elasticsearch. And also I would have scripts that run in the background to update the Elasticsearch by listening to webhooks from GitHub, maybe. That's a, a possible solution. And Elasticsearch is super fast and super flexible. So that would solve this. So I'm kind of seeing this as a small amount of pain for something that could actually be um, not a problem later on. But I'm sure at that point, <laughs> there'll be other problems to deal with. Um, yeah. Now, I originally, I was supposed to, this sprint that was, this quarter was supposed to be based on just working on the social logins and I've kind of put a little pause on that for now just because I want to play around with this experiment I already have the registration and well the standard registration and the standard login working you know that was the first thing I built when when I put it in Symfony and I did that in a few hours and it was good uh, no problems <coughs> now let's talk about testing because that's um this this is a crucial thing. I mean, this is the front end, right? So if this doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's not like a unit test that's failing that I could just fix later on. You know, it, if this doesn't work, it doesn't work. So I was able to come, to, I was able to do this experiment and I wouldn't have done it unless this has happened. Um, uh, what, what, blah, blah, blah. So at Christmas, uh, there was obviously that period of downtime where everybody didn't know what to do with each other, uh, to do with themselves because, you know, it's that period of Christmas. Plus we were in lockdown. So I ended up just doing a lot of how to cope well. And one thing I did do was I, um, which I'm certainly not regretting one bit, um, is using Cypress, cypress.io to do end-to-end -end tests on the front end. And it's been great. It's been so, so good. Uh, to do end-to-end -end tests using Cypress. And so we have a suite of tests and they're all passing and on the static site, on the Gatsby site. And I can pull those across very easily onto the 
um, the Symphony site and run those tests on uh, against the Symphony site. And as long as they pass, then we're in the same place as we were with the uh, with the static site. That's uh, that's my my way of thinking. So I have a te- a series of tests that will verify this experiment. Um, it's not just something that uh, I'm I'm just going to throw over the fence and go. Well, that's done then. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm th- hope. Well, this weekend I want to deal with the blog because that's a big piece of work to um, to try and somehow pull the blog articles down and then deal with pagination um, and all of that jazz and create blog posts, pages and, and other things. Uh, so that I want to do this weekend and then hopefully by the end of n- or at the start of next weekend, uh, I want to be dealing with, <laughs> I want to be dealing with um, Cyprus and then running that Cyprus suite and fingers crossed Everything should be uh, should be good. There might be a few niggles here and there to just sort out, sort out because I have I have changed a few class names and stuff like that. Just done a little bit of tidy up work, uh, very light stuff. I haven't done any functional changes at all. Um, so none of the uh, URLs have changed apart from there was one that I changed. Um, I did find a bug when I did this though, uh, which was quite interesting. Um, and that was the database schema thing. I also added some indexing um, as well to speed things up. So I have done a little bit of work, which I probably shouldn't have done. I should have done that in a separate branch to be fair, but um, meh. That's the problem when you don't have a lot of time uh, in the evenings to work on projects like this, side projects like this, you end up just sort of one evening you do, you think of one thing and then the other evening you think of another thing. And before you know it, you've, you're, you're actually doing two very separate pieces of work, but in one single branch, which is never great. Um, I'm a bit of a, I, that's a, a problem I have. <laughs> I'm okay when I'm working with clients so I can deal with one, one uh, feature branch at a time. That's fine. And I can switch between them using and stash changes and stuff. But when it comes to my own stuff, I am a little bit sloppy, which is a shame. Um, I guess, though, because the, because and this is a difference between a, a side project and a project that you are doing working for for a client with a client uh, with the clients that I've had. Um, I'm a contractor, by the way, if anybody doesn't know I, the, the clients that I've got. um and have that they have had really good teams behind them, teams of people, teams of um, talent, where there's project managers, there's uh, technical strategists, there's uh, content writers, there's QAs uh, uh, people, there's um, front end uh, people, there's back end people, there's DevOps people, there's people for various different different disciplines and things. Well, the problem with what I've got with how to code well is that. I have to be everyone. <laughs> and it's kind of what what is the flavor of the evening sometimes as to what it is that I'm I'm working on. The trouble is on the face of it howtocowell.net is actually a very simple website. Um that's the that's what it boils down to. It's actually on paper very simple. The most difficult part about how to code well will be the user subscriptions. And we are probably 40% built on that. 
I had a problem last year with Stripe, so um, I haven't continued that piece of work. But I mean, that's an example of me picking something up, putting it down, and then moving on. Um, so we'll, we'll crack on with that probably in the second quarter or maybe, yes, it should be the second quarter of this year. So April onwards. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting ride, this how to go well. It's, um, I do, there is an element of embarrassment, um, that I, I must admit. And that is that, you know, on the face of it, if this was a, for a client, this would have been done. This would have been done and dusted. Um, and, uh, you know, I would be on to something completely different. And I w- that would have probably happened a very long, long time ago. But this, it's not that I'm putting any more effort into this. It's be- because I'm using How to Code Well as a trial and error sandbox for ideas. There was an idea I had for microservices. There was an idea I had for um, learning React uh, and Gatsby. And I was using How to Code Well like a catalyst for these things. Um, And now I think that I'm starting to change my way of thinking from less of a developer and a bit of a project manager is coming, coming in and just saying, hang on a minute, you are, your architecture is all wrong. (laughs) Your architecture is all wrong. You're wasting time. Um, learning things that you don't necessarily need to learn right now um, or worry about right now, you're coming up with problems that you're creating yourself rather than, uh, you know, an actual genuine problem. Why did I build this in microservices in the first place? I don't know. I just wanted to, Um, which is fine. You know, as a side project, that's fine. If you want to play around with, you know, things, it's fine, but you have to move from that headspace of playing around in a sandpit to, or sandbox to, I need this live because I need this to be actually, you know, this is my brand. This is me. I can't just keep talking about something that isn't there yet, you know? So uh, one day I would like to come on stream and just say, yes, this, this sprint's done. This feature is done. This is the change log. You know, this is, these are all the things that were included. <laughs> uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. I, I just need to be a little bit more disciplined, I think, a little bit more on point. Um, so, yeah, there's a number of technical regrets I've got with How to Code Well. Um, and I think on reflection on par, um, it's it's the only thing I've wasted is time, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because if it was and I've learned so much from it it's not it's not like I've I haven't gained any extra knowledge so I've 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 improved as a developer because of the time that I've spent going down those rabbit holes um however if this was something that was live and people were actually paying for which is something that I eventually want people to do and 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 have that have that goal in mind um, I have that goal in mind, um, then uh, I would be very annoyed with myself because I would not be only wasting my time, but I'd be wasting their time too. And, you know, to have a website where people are using it and learning from it, those users deserve new improvements. You, you know, if you want people to come back to your website, you need to, 
you know, improve the website. You know, you need to analyze the website, see all the the user behavior, user journeys, what they do, what they don't do, um, what they prefer, what they don't prefer, um, what works and what doesn't work, and all of that stuff. And, and if you don't, if you don't give you give enough time for that, and you just have a developer head on, and you're like, I'm going to build it in this complicated solution because I don't know how to, and I want to learn. If you if if that happens, then you're wasting your time and theirs, and you don't you're not taking it as as a actual business um, business thing. So so yeah, it's a different it's a different way of thinking, I believe. Ah, I'm glad I got that off my chest. I think it's nice. I feel like I've come I've I've turned a corner. Um, yeah, I feel like I've turned a corner. This is this is less of a a trial and error sort of, you know, will this work, won't this work, to uh, let's get this damn thing working now. You know, enough is enough. Let's, uh, let's, let's progress. I'm going to take a slurp of tea and then we're going to talk about some, um, some things that are coming up in the How to Code Well world. So bear with me just a second. So unfortunately last weekend um, I wasn't feeling great at all. I'm not going to go into reasons why, but I wasn't feeling great at all. And so we didn't do the uh, the code challenges. Last weekend, I was should have done the code reviews for the code challenges. Um, and that was the PHP one-liners. And uh, I apologize that uh, I just I just wasn't feeling very, very great. So um, on Sunday, I was basically sat watching uh, The Expanse. Uh, feeling a little sorry for myself whilst building, doing some how to code well code. Um, I just didn't feel well enough to be on stream. So this means that I, I'm going to push out the code challenges review again for the second time <laughs> until uh, this weekend, right? So this weekend, which is it's only a few days away, uh, it's the 11th today, which is, uh, uh, Thursday. So Thursday, the 11th of February. So this will be on the Sunday. Um, and we're going to review the PHP one liners and you can, uh, find that challenge out from codechallenges.housecodewell.net. I suppose what I should do is just go through those challenges. Do, 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 do. Let me just click on, where are we? There we go. Okay, so this is the PHP CLI one-liners. So this has uh, five challenges for all five levels. First one is to generate an RSS feed in XML. Uh, The RSS feed is the How to Code Well podcast, which is this. Um, The second level is to randomize the alphabet in a single line of code. So return the alphabet in a random sequence. Uh, level three is to count names in an array. So you've got an array of names. So Pete, Kim, Jim, Pete, uh, Kate, B- Billy, Billy, Kim, and Kim. So count all the names in the array. So for example, uh, Pete would have a value of two because Pete's in there twice, whereas Jim would have a value of one because Jim's in there once. Um, so do that on one line. I want to use PHP hyphen A as a means of, you know, getting into the interactive shell and then running your lines of code, but they have to be on one single line to do these things. 
Uh, level four is to display the happy birthday song. So return the following happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear. And then your name. Happy birthday to you. Replace your name with the name of your Twitch or Discord username. By the way, we have a twi- we have a Discord channel uh, server. Anyway, uh, yeah, each line of the song should be output on a single line on the terminal. So one line command, it's not a command to run a script. It's a command in PHP. It's a, it's a PHP piece of code, all on one line. And that will uh, return that happy birthday message. Uh, the last one is to output the, output the contents of a current working directory. Uh, so use PHP to access the shell and list, there's a hint there, and list the contents of the current working directory. Um, so yeah, if you if you want to join, you, you still have time. <laughs> you still have time. Um, this is going to go and be reviewed live on Twitch on Sunday um, by yours truly. And uh, I will be going through this. It's uh, the 14th of Feb. Hey, that's uh, Valentine's Day. That'll be a Valentine's Day treat. Um, the next one. The next one, or, or this one, I should say, the latest challenge, because I have I decided because on Sunday I wasn't feeling great enough to do it, I decided just to release the next challenge because that was all set and ready to go. The next challenge, um, this is going to be reviewed at the end of February. So not a lot of time, um, I appreciate. I might push this into the end of March, I don't know. It really depends on how much... Uh, um, how much uh, people are interested in this. But this is a PHP object-orientated programming quiz. So it's different from the other challenges. It's not, it isn't necessarily um, like a demonstrate your code type thing, although there is one in here where there is asking for an, uh, a demonstration. But it's more about sort of mul- not multiple choice, but yes or no questions to do with PHP. Uh, so test your PHP knowledge with these interview style questions. This is codechallenges.howtocowell.net and um, uh, prizes for the first person to tell me that my www dot on the DNS is wrong. <laughs> I need to change that or I need to set, set that up. Anyway, so don't put www dot, just go to codechallenges.howtocowell.net to see this. Um, okay, there is 10 questions in this object-orientated PHP quiz. Um, these are interview-style questions. I thought it would be good to kick it up a gear and uh, do interview-style questions. Uh, some questions require a yes or a no, and others require a code example. Uh, please use Markdown to write your answers um, and put them in a GitHub repository and post them to our Discord server in the Code Challenges channel. Okay, the first question is, is multiple inheritance supported in PHP, yes or no? Second question is, explain the difference between a class and an object. So question one is a yes or no question. So just yes or no. So is multiple inheritance supported in PHP? Yes or no. The second question, however, is requiring an explanation. So in your own words, write down the difference between a class and an object as you understand it. The third question is demonstrate uh, the singleton pattern. So um, I was about to say what the singleton pattern is. So demonstrate in code what the singleton pattern is. Question number four is explain why the singleton pattern is sometimes considered an anti-pattern. 
So once you can demonstrate the singleton pattern, this next follow-up question is more about, you know, explain your understanding of the singleton pattern and why it's sometimes considered a anti-pattern. Question number four, and these are genuine interview questions. These are some of these I've had myself. Um, not giving any hints. So question five, explain what an abstract class does. Not is, does. What does an abstract class do? Question uh, six here is, can an abstract class extend another abstract class? So not another class, another abstract class. Yes or no. Some of these are going to be a bit tricky or have a little bit of trick questions. You have to read the question more than once. Number seven is can a PHP interface extend, sorry, can a PHP interface extend another interface? Yes or no. Question eight is how many interfaces can a PHP class implement? So how many interfaces can a PHP class implement? <coughs> Question nine is explain when you should use an interface instead of an abstract class. So nine is a bit of, it's more like, a you know, explain to me, yeah, explain, explain the difference between interfaces and abstract classes. You know, when would you use an interface? When would you use an abstract PHP class? And then question 10. Um, so this is where I give you a, a code example and I'm asking to, for you to explain the output. So explain the output of the following code. So we've got a final class. Uh, which is called base class. So final class, uh, base class. And in that base class, in that final base class, we have a public function called test. And it returns a string, which is base class, colon, colon, test, parentheses, called. Okay. And then we have, underneath that, we have a child class. So class, child class, extends base class. And then after that, we have our instantiation. So um, object uh, obj, so a variable obj, is equal to a new instan instantiation of child class. So not the base class, the child class. And then um, we are running, we're calling obj, uh, we're calling the test uh, function. So the test function of the final base class returns base class colon colon test parentheses called. So it's going to return a string. Um, and in our instantiation, what we're doing in our variable um, assignment, we are equ we're equaling the variable output to obj, which is our object, um, and we're calling the test method against the class. So output equals obj, and then test method, and then we're echoing what output is. So this is, I mean, it's very difficult to talk about this through a podcast without actually demonstrating the the stuff. Um, I suppose I could put it on the screen, but that'll only go for um, <laughs> for the people who are watching on YouTube. But essentially, you have a child class, you have a base class, which is final. And in that base class, you have a public function, which is test. And in that test method, you're returning a, um, a string. And what you're doing 
is you're instantiating the child class, which extends the final base class, and you're calling the uh, base classes test method, which should return a, um, a, a, a string. And you're assigning that to the variable output, and then you're echoing out output. So the question is, explain the output of the following code. <laughs> um, yeah, that, this is a bit of a tricky one. This is a bit of a trick, trick, uh, trick question, I think. So uh, that will be fun. That'll be fun to uh, to know. You don't have to do all of this. You don't have to do it. You could just pick and choose the questions that you want to answer. If you've got any questions about this, then please do let me know. Um, uh, let me know on the Discord server, though. Go to howtocowell.net forward slash Discord. Uh, click on the free link. and um, So it's free to join. And there's a coding challenges channel where you can submit your code challenges or uh, there is a coding help channel there as well if you want to ask uh, questions. I had some questions earlier today. Let me see. Where's my phone? It's somewhere. Here we go. I had some questions today regarding... Um, let's do a quick Q&A. Let's do this live. Let's get onto the YouTube studio. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Let's have a look. Let's look at my latest... The latest comments. I had some, I had some questions today regarding PHP... Um, object orientation uh, around the visibility scopes. So um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna shout this out. So um, six hours ago, Guy McLaren um, said uh, was asking about the protected method um, and wanting to know how you know, if this gives an extra layer of security, let's see. So is this the basic idea? And then there's an example of code. I should say, if you are providing code examples, please do so on our Discord server and not YouTube. YouTube is not a great place to put code in comments because the formatting sucks and it is actually quite difficult to read. Um, so anyway, we've got a, we've got a, a, a a, cl a class example. Now, the thing with this example I've just noticed is that um, there is a protected uh, visibility scope before the class declaration. That isn't that isn't um, what is uh, what, what you do. What you do is you use the protected. The visibility scopes go on the methods. So there's public, there's private, and there's protected. Uh, I suppose it's a good idea to. T I mean. Guy here has a good idea as to what this does. It's the security between various bits and pieces. So it's kind of like you're when you're using protected, you're saying um, the visibility of this method is is protected to only this class or the classes that inherit extend this this uh, this base class. So let's talk about let's talk about those quickly. Um, the visibility scopes, because this is quite a, this, this confuses a lot of people. This confused me when I started. I didn't see the point in the visibility scopes until I really got into object oriented programming. So there's three, there's, there's private, there's protected, and there is, um, <laughs> public. <laughs> okay. So pub, a public function, a public method in a class, um, can be accessed from outside the class. It can also be accessed from inside the class. Now you can put these visibility scopes on 
uh, on the properties of a class. And you can also put the visibility scopes on a method of a class. So let's just, let, I tell you what, let's just deal with the methods first and then I'll, I'll talk about the, the, the properties um, afterwards. So let's say, let's, let's just work down the public one first. Let's just go public, protected, and then private. So public can be accessed by anything outside of the class. So you would instantiate the class. So um, n is equal to new class name, right? And then your variable n can then access any method that is set to public um, from from outside of the class. And when I'm saying outside of the class, you don't have to be a method inside of the class to access it. Um, so the way you would write it is you would create your class, um, and then you would create a method. Let's say the method is uh, render, for instance. Uh, that's a that's a that's a good method because you want to render something. So that would pr- probably return a string of HTML, maybe I don't know, or just some text. Um, and you want your you want to be able to access that render method outside of the class. Um, or inside if you wanted to. And so you would use public. It's publicly available. If you think of the code, you've got to split it up into scopes. So you've got the global scope, which is the scope that anything can be ran in. You have a scope for the class itself. So that's um, scope, you know, that can only be seen from within the class. And then you've got scope from the extending class as well. And and we'll talk about the next one, which is protected. That kind of brings me swiftly into the protected one because protected um, means that your class can see it and a class that extends that class can see it. But the global scope cannot see this method. It is protected. It is protected to the class and the other classes that extend that class. Um, So, for example, if I was to think about this, so you've got render, that would be public, right? So you could access that from the public scope. Let's make another one up. Let's say, for example, you want to have a protected method called, um, I don't know, uh, load data. Okay, load data. So you don't want to allow the public to access load data that needs to be done from within the class okay so by setting it to be protected it means that another method within the class hierarchy can access this protected method but you cannot access it in the same way that you would access the render method from outside of the class okay so it is it is it is protected it is protected the next one is private Okay, the next one is private. So this is where we're saying only the class that declares this method as private can use this method. Okay, so um, there isn't, I can't, I can't access this method from within a class that inherits uh, this base class. Let's say, for example, we had a method. Let's say, for example, we had two classes. We had We had one which was called class draw, and on that class we had let no let's say draw shape. Okay, draw shape, and we have a. I'm just this is all ad hoc. I'm just thinking about code. This is I can see it in my head. Um, so let's say we had a class called um, draw shape. So this this is going to draw a shape, right? 
um, and there is a method called render. Okay, and that render method is public, and that render method is public. So when we when we instantiate a, a new shape, um, we can then call render, and it would render the shape. Fine. Okay. Good. Next one is the protected method where we're going to load data that that defines the shape. I don't know the shapes, dimensions, color, all that stuff. But we want to deal with that within the class. Um, maybe maybe the parameters get passed through as in the constructor. Uh, but we we need to do some calculations to that, and we don't want to allow the. So let yeah yeah let's change let's change the load data to calculate. Uh, dimensions calculate dimensions so calculate dimensions will take some parameters and that will calculate the dimensions of the shape before you can render it out fine okay that makes sense um, now you don't want to run the calculation from outside of the outside of the object be outside of the yeah outside of the object because um, you know that is allowing people to do the calculation before or after the render, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so by setting that to be protected, that means that um, it can only be accessed from within the class. It can't be accessed from outside of the class. That was a better example of protected. So cal calculate dimensions. Let's call it calculate dimensions. That is our protected method. Render is our um, public method. And then let's create another one. Let's create another one called, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling here. Um, uh, load color schemes or something. I don't know. Um, and that is held in an abs in a, in a base class could be abstract, whatever. Uh, but it's private. It's private to that class. It's, it's not a, you can't access it from the classes that extend this. Um, it is, it is private to that one class. And so basically these visibility scopes are a way for you to architect your, your, um, your classes and your objects in a means of, allowing certain levels of access to functionality within within your within your classes uh i probably have completely and utterly butchered that that was completely ad hoc <laughs> i do apologize um and uh you know there's 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 interfaces there's abstract stuff there's overloading methods uh, and all of that jazz as well but um yes just to let's just go back to the actual question at hand so uh, Guy is asking, is this the basic idea with a, an example of a, a class? Now, the class has protected at the front of it as a prefix. That isn't, that isn't um, allowed, um, but uh, you have your extension correct. So you would have your, your class. Uh, we've got X, <laughs> XXY extends XXX. Interesting. Yeah, so you would have... That 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 setup is correctly correct, but your protected um, uh, visibility scope wouldn't go on the class. It would go on the function with the method within the class. Um, and uh, yeah, it basic. Well, you use the word um, security. Does it give an extra level of security between certain things? I wouldn't necessarily use security uh, because that has different connotations. I would use. Uh, visibility. It has different visibility scopes. Accessibility between your application code and your objects. 
Um, that's what I would. That's what I would say. Let's see if we can do another one. That was cool. So we've got. Um, we've got all sorts of questions. There's um, someone here saying that there is a code link that uh, has an access denied issue on it. I think that's to do with my pack publishing course. I will check that out as soon as uh, the stream's finished and check one out, check that out. Thank you for letting me know. I'm sure there's a couple of dead links floating about with how to code well that I need to fix. When we move to the new how to code well website, uh, there was a whole bunch of different um, link structures and there's going to be a load of stuff, old stuff that um, I just didn't get a chance to pull through or I've just sort of let go. But there'll be old, old, old videos of mine with old, old URLs in. So I need to probably sit down um, <laughs> give myself probably a weekend um, and go through all of the videos. Oh God, this sounds awful, doesn't it? Find all of the URLs and either do some form of bulk change. If I can find some app that will allow me to do that, do a bulk change, maybe a search and replace, um, to go to the, the correct URL. Or if I have access to the DNS of the URL in question, um, not all of them I will, unfortunately, but I could, I could do some sort of fancy redirection i don't know it depends on what it, what is what's worth it to be fair uh yeah there's a load of you know sort of thank yous and stuff which is lovely to see um it's great to see that the uh, people are are uh, enjoying the courses and the tutorials on on the channel um <laughs> yeah some funny ones too awesome cool okay well I'm going to call that an evening. Um, I'm going to take uh, Murphy, our English Springer Spaniel, out for for a walk and then grab some, get some dinner. But thank you ever so much for watching um, and also listening on the podcast as well. This will go out to the podcast. The other one was a bit late. Unfortunately, I'm still trying to find my feet with YouTube streaming. Um, the you the YouTube doesn't allow you to download the content until like a couple of days later. So I'm finding different ways of doing a stream and a record at the same time. So I have the recording um, and then I can push it out to the, to the podcast quicker, but uh, there's still a couple of things that I need to sort of uh, wire up before I do that. But anyway, I will see you all uh, hopefully on Sunday to review the PHP one liners uh, I'll say again, it's codechallenges.howtocodewell.net. Um, the latest challenge is there, which is the 10, uh, 10 questions to do with PHP object orientation. Object-orientated programming in PHP, uh, 10 qu- questions in a quiz f- type of format. So, happy coding, everybody, and I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs>